Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Fiction. Science fiction. Horror. Fantasy. Crime. LGBT. Thriller. You have now entered the House of Mystery with your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino, John Copenhaver, and Al Warren. FM Riverside and 1050 AM Palm Springs. Death of Expertise. It's the campaign against established knowledge. And that's Tom Nichols. So uh, welcome to the show, Tom. Thanks. Good to be with you. So uh, now, Tom, I've been listening to your book. And Ah. uh, that's because I'm getting old and I can't read. And uh, your book is amazing. I find almost everything that you've said in there is is so accurate, um, but it's kind of depressing. Um, what made you actually? How did you come to write this book and not worry about your reputation? <laughs> well, uh, since my reputation is mostly as a cranky curmudgeon, uh, didn't hurt it one bit. Uh, because it is, it, it it can be a bit of a downer. I mean, I tried to write it with a fair amount of good humor and and um, some touchstones of the culture. But yeah, I mean, I wrote it uh, accidentally, to be quite honest. And uh, I should also add, by the way, I don't represent the uh, U.S. government here, even though it's my day job is teaching for the Navy. Um, I wrote it uh, as a um, uh, Initially, as a blog post, I had a blog back uh, some years ago, and uh, I actually closed it because, as if you read the book or if you listen to the great Sean Pratt read it, um, you know I think blogs are part of the problem now. Uh, but it then became an article for an online magazine, and it went viral. And I wrote it because I was struck by how easily people were lecturing to me about my own field of expertise, my training. 
Uh, I've been a professor for about 30 years, but my background is in Russian studies and Soviet stuff and national security issues. And uh, back when the Edward Snowden business broke, I said something that among Russia experts was not controversial at all, which is that WikiLeaks and Snowden, that, that the Russians were all jungled up with this whole business. Um, and younger people who really wanted to feel, you know, that Snowden was doing something noble and, you know, had no ulterior motives and couldn't possibly be in the pocket of a foreign government, uh, kept arguing with me about this, both in person and on social media. And finally, one of these younger people said to me, Tom, I don't think you understand Russia. Let me explain Russia to you. <laughs> and I just kind of stopped and said, no, no, that's not. You know, I'm the one that speaks Russian. I'm the one that's been there a couple of dozen times. I'm the one that's done research there. You know, I'm the guy that's written on this. I think pretty sure I know what I'm talking about. Um, and that's that's what led me to say, you know, something was different. Because I think one thing that's normal in all this, and this isn't what I wrote about, is people not trusting eggheads and intellectuals. And, and that I would never have written a book about that. That's perfectly normal. Um, people don't like professors and, you know, for, for good reasons. We're kind of an annoying, <laughs> we're not the most lovable people in the world. Um, you know, people have a distrust of experts. They get a little jumpy when their doctors tell them things they don't want to hear. What really struck me and what I wrote about was how did people get to the point where, where every person thinks they're smarter than every other person in every possible area? And that's the thing. And it's not just professionals. I should add that just as one last comment before I stop my diatribe here. But um, it's not just professionals. I mean, I had a I, I wrote a piece in the L.A. Times uh, about six months ago, almost a year ago, where I I had a house fire and um, I had my house was full of electricians and carpenters and plumbers. And they told me the same stories that people would, you know, they'd be working on a house. Somebody say, you're an electrician. Yeah. Well, here, let me. Let me tell you about that wiring you're putting in there. Let me ask you about uh, why, you know, that box, because I have some views on this. And and even they were kind of tired of, you know, the plumbers saying, look, this is the pipe that you put into a house to do the thing. And um, and so that's what made me sit down and write the book was this kind of scary new world where people not only don't listen to experts, but feel the need to tell you that they're smarter than experts in everything. Yeah, I also find that, um, like on Facebook, um, most of most of the ten thousand people I have are all. Um, I hate to say this, and they'll probably get rid of me now, but um, they almost fake their credentials as well. Mm -hmm. They they, they mm -hmm. don't put what they do really; they put mm -hmm. what they'd like to do. It's almost an avatar. Right. You'll you'll have somebody say to you. Uh, well, you know, um, <clears throat> Tom, let me explain to you about Russia. And then you, you know, if you go through this and say, look, what are, what's your background on this? And, you know, it turns out like, well, I, I saw Mission Impossible 4, um, you know, or, uh, I really like Dr. Zhivago. Um, and, it, you know, what you really find is that people have the illusion of knowledge instead of actual knowledge. And I, I think, you know, I, I've seen what you're talking about on social media where people fake it, right? They say, I'm a microbiologist, and you know that they're not. But I think the bigger problem is people aren't faking it. They genuinely believe that they know this stuff, and they don't understand that they don't. Yeah. Now, one place I see this as a major problem is in politics, because 
<laughs> Particularly in democracies. Do where tell. People, yeah, well, people are called upon. I mean, this is the sort of paradox of, of democracy. People are called upon to um, share their opinions, and every opinion is equal to everyone else's. Everyone gets one vote. They all have the same exact power. Yeah, it doesn't matter if you know nothing or know everything, if your opinions are based on evidence or crazy superstition. So in, 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 when it comes to our politics, we always say, oh, well, voters have common sense and they'll follow, you know, common sense. But common sense isn't common and it isn't that good. Um, right. It's, 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 it, and common sense can, uh, you know, common sense tells you that when you're skidding on ice, which, of course, you in Miami never do, uh, <laughs> But common sense tells you to jam on the brakes, right? Or back in the days before anti-lock braking systems, that's what it told you, because that's your gut instinct is to put your foot through the floor. And a lot of people got killed that way. Um, you know, there are things that you just have to learn how to do because they're counterintuitive. And um, I think in politics, the one place I'd take issue here is in politics, everybody, I, I think we used to understand that not everybody's opinion is equal, just that everybody's vote is equal. Mm. And we've confused those two things. <clears throat> we've said that because we all, you know, we have one person, one vote, therefore every person is just as informed and as important to listen to as every other person. And that's why in the book I make this really careful distinction. We are not a democracy. We are a republic. Uh, where we delegate the power of decision to a smaller number of us who rely on advice uh, and who are expected, maybe this is, you know, my Burkean conservatism showing, but that we are, that our representatives are not expected to simply be a megaphone for what the people back home say, but to exercise their own judgment and bring their own knowledge and skills to it as well. And that's what we're losing. We're expecting our elected officials now to simply amplify whatever we yelled from back home, which, you know, is really a problem when people back home don't know what they're talking about and don't really understand what they're asking for. Now, one problem I see isn't just a distrust of experts, but it's a selective distrust of experts. Yes. Um, so, so, and this is very easy to find on Facebook. So, for example, one of my Facebook friends just had something on about climate change and how the 97% number is contrived and there's all sorts of other reasons that climate change isn't real or isn't man-made. And they rely on experts for these sorts of things, but they're not good experts and they're outliers compared to everything else. So it's, I think a lot of what I see is just people picking and choosing what they want to believe. Absolutely. And I think um, in the book, the, the word that I use right up front, is that all of this is coming about because of an epidemic, and I, I say an epidemic that's been going on for 35 or 40 years, of narcissism, where uh, we really do not face facts or political decisions or basic life decisions, I would even say, as adults. We, are, we have a very childlike approach to this, where we go shopping for the person who's going to tell us what we want to hear. Um, we uh, routinely shoot the messenger we listen, the, the same people that will tell you, oh, the media are totally unreliable, will tell you, well, that's what Sean Hannity told me. <laughs> um, you know, that, uh, and, and it's not just a, I mean, I, I think there's a tendency to say that this is completely a, a, a dysfunction of the right. It's not. Um, you know, you, you can find people on the left who will go um, shopping. I mean, the anti-vaccine movement 
you know, is is um, the epicenter of the anti-vaccine movement is in Northern California, uh, where you would expect people to know better. But it's, you know, upscale parents saying, you know, well, not my kid. My kid, I don't want people sticking needles into my kid. Um, and, you know, poor, poor parents don't have that option, um, which is why we don't have, although, although at the top of the show you pointed out we're getting measles back. Uh, because people are looking for exceptions. So it's it's a normal human thing to say, look, just tell me the things I want to hear. We love confirmation bias. We love being told that we're right. We hate being told that we're wrong. But we used to be a nation, and I would argue a culture globally, uh, that was more accepting of having to make difficult adult decisions without being able to go shopping to, to get our way out of it. Um, I'm going to add one humble brag here and say, I, I wrote the book thinking I was primarily talking to Americans. Um, and at this point, the book is in 11 foreign languages, which really kind of surprised me more than anything about it. Well, um, Americans don't read. <laughs> but I, I didn't, I didn't, I was surprised to find that, you know, traveling and talking about the book over the past year or so, uh, that, you know, people in, uh, I guess Italy should have been an easy call given what they're going through now, uh, that the book did well in Italy. But I was really surprised when it was going to translation and, you know, Ukrainian and, and Chinese and, uh, Japanese and Korean. And, you know, th I mean, it just really struck me that, um, this could be a problem of a kind of global cultural shift brought on by affluence and technological advancement uh, and globalized media um, and instantaneous communication. And I, I that was one of the things that surprised me uh, when when I wrote the book or after I wrote the book, I should say. So one thing that really concerns me is when the media gets involved in this and they actually push sort of pseudoscience-y fake stuff themselves, and they undercut real experts. So I think CNN actually did this the other day. They were talking about the romaine yes. lettuce problem, and they had the food babe on um, who spouted a bunch of things that are patently false and right. had to be contradicted by the government. Um, right. Or when Oprah Winfrey had on, you know, I could list a ton of guests, but Jenny McCarthy comes immediately to mind. And... And I guess this would be of interest, you know, to you. Oprah said to Jenny McCarthy, you know, where did you learn all this stuff about vaccines? And her answer was, I got a degree from the University of Google. Yep. You know, so oh, there seems oh, to be a... figures prominently in the book. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because, of course, you know, and she's she's not alone. I mean, you know, Gwyneth Paltrow, um, <laughs> who um, I, I won't spoil the moment in the book for, for listeners, but... Uh, Gwyneth Paltrow, who recommends doing something to her, uh, recommends to women to do things to their uh, plumbing that uh, gynecologists are practically throwing themselves in front of the computer screen, screaming, don't do that. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that's really bad for you. And this is a really bad thing to do. Uh, the food babe right off the bat, you know, if you're taking your advice from someone whose nickname is the food babe. <laughs> <laughs> maybe you you know you ought to just stop and think for a moment is this somebody who you know that i would trust um but it makes for good tv and part of it is the media culture there is too much time to fill uh yeah i mean part of this is like you get these sort of pseudoscience people up there and then 
part of their appeal is that they push, well, you can't trust everything else. You can't trust the media. You can't trust the corporations. You can't trust the government. They're all lying to you and covering stuff up. And you can only get, you know, the special information. You can only get the truth from these uh, um, unauthoritative and alternative sources. Right. And it makes you feel special. And again, it goes back to that narcissism. You're special. You have special knowledge. All those other sheeple out there who listen to idiots like the you know Center for Disease Control, they're just <laughs> morons. You and I have a special secret bond that we know the real story. And it makes you feel involved. It makes you feel part of the drama. It makes you feel special. It brightens up an otherwise uninteresting day. Um, it's fun. It's flossy. And you don't have to think about, you know, sort of the drudgery of, uh, you know, probably have to think about how to avoid romaine lettuce until this is over. And uh, maybe, you know, I got to remember to take my kid in to get vaccinated, even though my kid hates getting stuck with a needle. And, you know, maybe I uh, should think about, you know, um, whether I should be investing my money properly instead of uh, listening to, you know, somebody pitching gold at me. Um, you know, from the deck of an aircraft carrier. Uh, I mean, we we fall for that because, look, people have always fallen for scams. But, you know, now the scams take on a very authoritative look and um, you have the option because of the amount of media um, alternatives out there to just switch over and just keep finding the people that will keep reinforcing what you want to hear over and over and over again. Now, now I f find on the left, they seem to be focused on um, things like what you wear at Halloween or, um, you know, different offense structures. Um, they're not interested in, in, in knowledge, really. Um, so how, how, do we, how do we get people back on the track? Well, <clears throat> it'll, it'll sound like a very pedestrian um, piece of advice, but one of the things I say when I'm been talking about this with people is to start by being nicer to each other and assuming more goodwill because what i think what you're seeing on both the right and the left yeah. um, if we can both sides this for a moment is that people don't take the time to learn things they want to gain knowledge to deploy it as a weapon against other people mm. they they want to, to find knowledge that that fits into their preconceptions and then bludgeon other people over the head with it rhetorically uh, to win an argument or to carry the day or to win the point. Um, you know, one of the reasons I, I hate the climate change debate is that um, the only people that are at all nuanced about it are scientists, of course, who, because that's the job of science. They say, we, you know, we're pretty sure that these things are happening. We have this, we assign probabilities, we argue, we peer review. Um, but to listen to the right and the left fight about climate change, um, the right is in denial. You know, it's not happening. Uh, everything's fine. And the left is do exactly what we say right now or the planet ends in a molten ball of flame in two weeks. <laughs> and, and this is not a dialogue. This is just people trying to access pools of information to use them, you know, like artillery shells against each other. No one's really interested in having a conversation or reaching a solution because – in part because no one wants to take the risk that the solution will be one they don't prefer. Mm. I mean, that's certainly the case on the right, where dealing with a, a, a problem like 
climate change requires collective action, which the right wouldn't want. They wouldn't want carbon taxes or more energy regulation. But, you know, so in that sense, their denial may be serving as a defense mechanism for sure. But on the left, too, I think you're exactly right. You wind up with this, you know, these projections that make it into the media, which go well beyond where the science is. Right. And that only, you know, goes to agitate the right even more because, like, when they claim out, when they came out with a report recently and they said, yeah, I mean, um, um, yeah, the temperatures are going up and we're running into serious problems. And then, you know, what gets reported is we're all going to die soon. Right. And no scientist says this, right? Like, right. I talk to climate scientists and they don't say there's imminent death about to happen. And I, I've talked with climate scientists as well who say, you know, the, the one place, uh, I think that under their kind of under their breath, they will admit, uh, they've had a hard time, uh, and maybe, you know, haven't done the kind of things they think they should do in terms of science contributing to the debate. They don't want to say, they don't want to, they don't want to introduce this nuance into the discussion because then they actually get jumped on as either by the right as saying, aha, so you say this only has a chance of happening, so it might not. And then, of course, you know, yeah, but, you know, if it's 80-20, you know, nobody goes into a casino and bets the 20. Yeah. Um, but on the left, it's don't, you know, you must get, you must adhere to the orthodoxy. You must tell people, uh, you must catastrophize this instantly or else we lose the momentum. And, you know, that's just not how science works. I, I think the other problem, I think you're absolutely right about uh, Joe the way the right and the left divide this you know that the that the right does not want any collective action active uh, action solutions somebody the other day i think it was i think it was david from um, but I, I hope i'm not misquoting somebody said the whole wall street journal editorial page now boils down to no carbon taxes mm. uh, no matter what it is um, on the left however it, it's really hard to accept that that there are people who will say look you know we may we may chance some damage to the environment a hundred years from now in exchange for things that we're that we need to do right now. That you know we will will take some of this and we'll kind of go on a sliding scale of how much are we willing to accept, how much risk, um, what prices are we willing to pay? Uh, because again, that gets you out of do what we tell you. And I think actually, if I'm I could be even more stark about this, I think it's because the right is in the trenches of the defense of unregulated capitalism, and the left is in the trenches of we will totally regulate capitalism, and both sides are using climate debate, again, just to kind of, as you know, like rocket artillery against each other, um, when what they're really arguing about is social control of the economy. Yeah, I mean, a lot of these issues come down to to exactly that. Just another way of having you know this ideological debate, like like the GMO debate is the same thing. Where if you hate big multinational corporations and don't like uh, biotech, then you're anti-GMO, and you think Monsanto right. is this evil villain who's out to get us. Uh, interestingly enough, another case where um, you know when people have said to me, well. The, you know, the right is the kind of anti-science bastion. And I, I tend to agree with that. I mean, the, 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 there are more problems with science on the right than there are on the left these days. But then you talk about something like GMOs, and you run into a bunch of people on the far left who are completely resistant to science. The same kind of um, consensus that they will quote at you about climate science when you bring up the same group of scientists or, or a large group of scientists with a similar consensus in the high 90s that GMOs are, 
you know, don't hurt you. They say, well, that's just junk science. That's just paid for science. That's, um, you know, big, big aggro. And as you say, what they're really saying is I just don't like big multinational corporations. And so I'm not going to go down the road of knowledge that takes me away from hating big multinational corporations. Another problem that I find, and maybe you can comment on this, is sometimes you have experts who are legitimate, but then they wind up taking illegitimate positions, mm. um, like the like the person who uh, you know lost his license to practice medicine, uh, Andrew Wakefield, because of his fraudulent vaccine study, or you have people that that you know I'm a physicist, but I'm going to talk about how vitamin C can cure cancer yes. or something like that. I, I, in the book, I talk about um, Linus Pauling, who, you know, was the Nobel Prize winner in chemistry, who became obsessed with vitamin C. And toward the end of his life, he even started making claims like it could cure AIDS. Um, <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, which, you know, you say, look, you're a great chemist. Congratulations for winning the Nobel Prize. But this just isn't your area. Um, I brought up uh, back in the 80s, there was a um, an anti-nuclear activist who was at the time ubiquitous in the United States. I mean, you know, if you were talking about nuclear weapons in the United States, you ran into this woman named uh, Helen Caldicott, who wrote books about nuclear disarmament. Um, she was a pediatrician from Australia. Uh, you know, that you know, wrote interesting books about how the Cold War was kind of a, you know, a, 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 a dysfunction of you know medical psychology among men, um, but you know, in the end, really kind of a cross-boundary uh, violation there. Um, I think the other place where the experts uh, get take a, take a lot of response, have to take a lot of responsibility for things that go wrong, is um, not wanting to own mistakes. Uh, because the public, when they see a mistake, their confirmation bias then tells them that because this group of experts made a mistake, that field of expertise is uh, nonsense or invalid. Um, and so experts increasingly have tried to kind of kick the kitty litter over their mistakes because, you know, if it, when a doctor kills a patient or an air, airline pilot, you know, flies into a mountain, people say, see, experts don't know what they're doing. Mm. Um, and I think that kind of scapegoating has led experts to be too reticent and too unwilling to admit it when they find wrongdoing or misconduct or mistakes in their own field. It does become a. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. It's a cycle because if you're an expert... And you feel like you like you're facing unfair scrutiny, um, or, or or scrutiny that's coming at you in a way that's gonna you know attack you no matter what you do, right? Um, and and make accusations that are incredibly unfair. You're it's gonna wind up consciously or unconsciously affecting your behavior. Oh, there's right? no doubt about it. I think experts, um, you know, uh, one of the ways I think to to put this. Um, for your listeners to think about how much things have changed is that I, I, I've really thought about um, a lot these days about Apollo 13, right? Uh, when we were young, or younger, uh, when I was a kid, Apollo 13 was one of the great dramas of the, of the space race, that these three brave guys go into space, something blows up, they, they use, you know, spit and chicken wire and chewing gum and they kind of hold this thing together and improvise and they overcome this terrible thing and they get back to Earth and they're, and they're regarded as heroes. Uh, because we understood space travel is inherently dangerous, that what, you know, tr- trying to shoot three guys in a bullet at the moon and land them there is, in, you know, really incredibly difficult. And God bless them for having the courage and tenacity to make it back. I think if that happened today, um, it would be covered in the media 24-7, and the reaction of uh, an abnormally large number of people would be to say, stupid NASA. They can't – those guys are morons. They can't do anything, um, you know, because that that's how we've become. We've become this kind of churlish, fault-finding uh, society that takes every failure as indicative of a pattern when, in fact – you know, failures are just a normal part of living in an advanced technological society. Um, the same people who, who think that experts are uh, don't know what they're doing don't think twice about the fact that they turn on their taps and perfectly clean water comes out uh, or that they start their cars and, you know, um, that they're driving the safest cars that, that, that have ever been made um, or that airline travel you know, happens almost like bus riding with far fewer fatalities these days. They just don't think about it because they don't think about And that's that's a normal human thing, not to think about it when things go right. But we really have become a, a kind of game of gotcha to see if we can find when experts are wrong. And I think that's really unhealthy. Well, well how do you deal with that then? Like in, in the case of something like that, uh, I find that uh, people have brought down – it doesn't matter if you have a doctorate. It doesn't matter if you've had books published. Um, they, they bring you down to a lower level. They're just as good as you. They have their laptop with Google. So they're on equal grounds. If anything, they know more than you. So how can you deal with that without insulting them or making them feel bad? 
sometimes I don't think you can deal with it without at least coming across as insulting. Um, you know, when someone says to you, I don't think the moon landing happened, um, you know, one of the things that I've been, one of the ways I've been approaching other experts is to say, look, you really have to talk back to the crowd and you can't be gentle about it. If we're trained as, as teachers and as professors, uh, and as experts, doctors, lawyers, engineers, to, that when someone says something, you say, okay, well, let's, let's work on that together and let me explain it to you. Um, you know, some, but when somebody says to me, look, I don't think the moon landing happened. Um, uh, I don't start from saying, now that's an interesting idea. Let's unpack that. I, I, I just jump right to, all right, look, you're wrong. Let's just start from you're wrong. It happened. And I can tell you, you know, about the moon landing, but we're not having the discussion about why the earth is flat, why the moon landing didn't happen. Um, you know, why, uh, leprechauns make rainbows happen. We're just not having that discussion. Um, because I think that's partly why people do this now. It's to draw experts into discussions that, as you say, it makes them peers. It makes, it makes them equal and it lets them engage you for, you know, hours on end about nonsense. Um, so I, I, I'm not sure that there's a way to do that. Uh, without uh, bruising some feelings on occasion. Um, yeah. But I think you're right. I think the goal is to say we're peers, and I want you to take my completely crackpot idea as seriously as every other idea in the world. And I think experts should just stop doing that. Yeah, I've kind of gotten to that point, with, especially with a lot of the books or things I've written, and people will say things that, you know, they've never left their basement. Right. Never done real research. I think that's research to a lot of people is Wikipedia and and not they don't leave their home and actually go out and physically search and learn to do things correctly. Yeah, the um, the notion uh, I have to tell you, nothing makes an expert's heart sink more than when someone says, well, you know, I've done some research, Yeah, <laughs> which means, you know, <laughs> Which means I've clicked around on a lot of things. Um, I, I, you know, talk to if you start peeling that onion back. Talk to a lot of these people. Say, have you ever been to a library? You know, a bricks and mortar library that has journals and, um, you know, librarians who can help you and all that. People don't understand that research is itself a skill. But there's there's one thing I want to go back to, which is about expert. How do experts deal with it when when people are constantly playing this game of gotcha? My answer to, to, to that, and in the book, I talk about some of the bad calls I've made as an expert, as a Russia expert. Um, you know, I, I didn't anticipate how bad things would become, for example, with Vladimir Putin. Um, but I try to explain to people, well, first of all, being wrong on any one call is like a coin toss. Um, you know, understanding a process and even even getting something wrong and at least figuring out why you're wrong is an important part of science and, and of learning and of getting better at what you do down the line. Um, I, I, th I don't think the answer is for experts to go into a defensive crouch and to say, well, OK, fine, I'm not really wrong. I mean, you will see that among some experts say, well, I said this, but what I meant to say was that because they don't want to play that game with the public. Uh, but I also think the public has to start learning how to listen to experts to say, look, we can be wrong, but we're more likely to be right than you are. 
and we are better at policing ourselves than you are. A lot of times people throw the business about doctors and eggs, which I, I was upset about because I really like eggs. Um, you know, and I even, I even kind of harassed my own doctor about it saying, Hey, you know, I wasn't eating eggs for a lot of years and kind of said, <laughs> yeah, you know, we, we screwed that up, you know, but who figured out that eggs are, are okay for you? Other doctors checking research that doesn't just because doctors are wrong about eggs doesn't mean that they're wrong about everything and that you should have a six pack of beer for breakfast. See, this is where I run into a lot of problems, because when people say to me, well, what's the difference between a conspiracy, which really happened, and a conspiracy theory, which might have happened or probably didn't happen, mm-hmm. um, I say, you know, we know something's a conspiracy when the properly constituted epistemic authorities or the knowledge-building authorities um, say so. So like with Watergate, we know it happened because we have open admissions in court. We had investigations by Congress. Experts got involved, gathered the evidence, and made that evidence available to everybody. Um, but not all experts are the same, and sometimes there are reasons to doubt experts. So I, I don't think you would say we should listen to all experts at all times. Like what are the so, – so for the audience, where when are the times that, you know, maybe we should doubt experts or, or – have uh, wider margins of error around what they say? I think that's a great question. Um, and I, I always tell people, look, uh, start with making sure you understand um, the provenance of the expertise. Like you see a, and somebody on television, right? Uh, one place where Google can help you is if you don't recognize that name, find out who they are. Um, you know, who do they work for? Are they beholden to someone? Because experts do. Look, experts can be just as venal and unprincipled as a lot of other people in society. Um, you know, if, if uh, you see someone who works for a right-wing or left-wing think tank, you know, you can expect a certain amount of spin on what you're hearing. And it's just good to know that ahead of time. Um, I still would argue that you rarely encounter experts who will outright lie or falsify um, but it's but it's good to know if the if they're presenting the data in a way that's advantageous to their argument. Um, do they work for you know a corporation? Do they work for a university? Do they work for um, you know a law firm? Who do they, who, where is uh, where are they rooted? Um, because that's just good information to have. I think part of the problem is that every time you find that out, and this goes Joe, this goes back to what you're saying about conspiracies. Um, just putting the word big in front of anything. You know, invalid. Well, you know, here's a lawyer telling you about what's going on. Well, he's just representing, you know, the big legal profession. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, here's a professor. Well, you know, big. I've actually had people say to me, "Well, you're just part of big academia." <laughs> I, 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 as God is my witness, I've had people use that expression. You're just part academia. of big academia. Um, and and I think, in part, again, one thing maybe we're getting at here with conspiracy theories and narcissism. One reason we're facing this death of expertise problem is that challenging expertise makes people feel empowered. Mm. It makes them feel like they have control over their environment again, uh, because it can be really unsettling and scary to live in the modern I mean, Richard Hofstetter talked about this. Living in the modern world was overwhelming to people, even in the 1960s. Um, and, and so people want to impose order on that, and they want to reclaim some sense of control over it. So when a doctor, you know, again, going to vaccines, doctor says, look, um, I have to take this this needle full of stuff that you've never heard of 
to, you know, make your make your daughter cry for a minute while I stick it in her arm. You know, your natural impulse. I'm a father. I mean, my natural impulse is to say, don't, don't, don't do that. Don't come near my kid. Um, and you feel powerless for that moment. Um, and I think that that's that's what people are rebelling against is that sense of powerlessness because they're it's very childlike to rebel against that sense of powerlessness rather than to say there are things in the world that other people know better than I do and that I need to do them. Well, I, I was going to say, but how do you, how do you change that? A majority of people right now um, l- look at uh, their foundation is about money. You know, people that are 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 knowledgeable are not necessarily who they look to. They're looking for people like, you know, we're saying Oprah. Oprah is now selling Weight Watchers. Here's a woman that's never been successful at weight loss in her life selling a Weight Watcher program. And and you've got people like Donald Trump as a president who's supposed to be successful at business. Again, it's about money. Kardashian. Uh, isn't that sort of where people are? That's where they're learning. That's a good that's a good observation, and it reminds me of something. I think it was um, the uh, uh, writer Fran Lebowitz said. Remember, America doesn't hate rich people; it hates smart people. Because again, <laughs> it's not disempowering to see people who are rich, especially if they became rich in ways that you think you could have become rich. Uh, or that if they're acting in ways that you think you would act if you were rich. I think one secret to President Trump's popularity is I think a lot of people look at him and say, hey, if I had, you know, a billion dollars, yeah, I'd have I'd put gold toilets in my my house, too, um, as opposed to the 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 differential in education and intelligence, which is immediately disempowering. Mm-hmm. I mean, the president and Oprah Winfrey and the Kardashians, what's their underlying message? We're more glamorous and richer than you, but deep down we're kind of just like you. Mm. And we're not really trying to run your life. We're, we're, we're with you. We're on your side against all the people that are trying to tell you what to do. I mean, the national motto these days is you're not the boss of me. Mm. Um, you know, we, we really have become this kind of perpetually adolescent society that's, that just doesn't want to be told what to do. And people who break the rules and have enough money to break the rules become kind of folk heroes. Um, you know, people love it when President Trump says, I'm just too rich to care what you think. Screw you. Um, you know, the Kardashians the same way. And I think that, again, it's really unhealthy. It's not it's not how adults participate in a modern society and and run a a superpower and vote in a in a functional republic. It's it's like a preschool. Do you think part of the problem is that people fear um, experts because they don't understand why expertise is valuable. They don't understand what expertise is and why we need it. I mean, in a world like this where there's so many different things going on, there's no way for any one person to know how to do everything. And you have to sort of subdivide all these little jobs out to yeah. everybody and have them do it. But we sort of don't quite understand that. You know, how come I'm not doing my own plumbing? How come I'm not doing, you know, how come I didn't build my own house? How come I right. you don't run the economy? I, I think there's there's several things going on here. One is we've lost respect for the division of labor because we've, for 40 years, we've had a system of education and a culture that surrounds it that tells every kid they're the smartest kid in class. Mm. Um, you know, that, that we don't, we've lost the notion that, look, you know, this kid's good at math. This kid's good at English. That kid is good at gym. 
um, we basically tell all the children, you know, it's Lake Wobegon. All the children are above average. You're all, you know, you're all wonderful. Someone asked me um, once how, how I would go about building more critical thinking uh, among school children. And uh, my instinctive response was to say, you would start by not telling them they're awesome every day. <laughs> Uh, because that socializes you against learning things if you already think you're awesome every day. Um, I think the other problem, though, with the division of labor, it's not that they don't know what expertise is. I think the gulf between experts and the, and the basic literacy of the ordinary person is so large now that sometimes people feel like they just can't cross that and, and that it's and so rather than just accept that, look, you know, I, I, I don't know enough to know about, uh, you know, medications or the law or diplomacy or whatever it is, I'm going to cover that sense of insecurity uh, by uh, kind of jumping across and saying, well, I, I know it anyway. Um, and I think, again, that's a very childish reaction. That's something you learn to grow out of. Uh, but I think that's that's a, I, I think actually people really do know and understand expertise. And I think that I think the the proof of that is how much they rely on it. Mm. But that's also a double edged sword. I think it's interesting that when you talk about the 21st century in, in one of the most technologically advanced times, right, where we live longer and healthier globally as a people, we have we do things that would have been considered miraculous 30 years ago, I mean, this conference we're having right now with three of us spread across the country um, as part of this this discussion is, you know, amazing. I think what's happened is that our level of affluence has become so high and yet so transparent that people don't even think about it anymore. And they say, yeah, I get it that there are some things that are really complicated, but most of the things in the world just work. And how hard could it be? I see that too. So the show that comes immediately to my mind is Lost. If you saw that, it was big about 10 years ago. The plane crashes and all the people wind up on this weird right. island. And somehow they're all able to live really well and all be gorgeous <laughs> for a number of years. Yes. And the thing is, you can't have a society like that where you only have a small number of people um, with, with with limited resources like that, they would not be looking good after only a week. Right. Or, um, and, you know, it, let's let's build our huts. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I didn't realize that you had a background in hut building. Yeah, I mean, nobody getting there. I mean, they. I mean, on the TV show, they had one doctor, but I mean, um, you wouldn't have people who know how to build huts or how to how to hunt and kill and, and make meat and make all, all these different things and. Um, it, it's just sort of shocking that they that that they act as if all these things are easy to do if you don't have lots of expertise already built up in that area. Well, I, I think a better example uh, and a more realistic example. You're talking about Lost. Think about the movie uh, Castaway. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, or people say, "Oh, experts," and you know, I, these quacks and doctors. Okay, you know, just remember that without them, you know, take the worst dentist in the world. A guy that isn't a very good dentist, but he's still a licensed, you know, able dentist. Uh, would you rather have him or would you rather be taking out your own tooth with a mirror and a, and a figure skating blade? Yeah. Uh, which happens in the movie. And, you know, every time they see that, I think you, know, you can you can complain about dentists all you want. But, man, you would take the the worst 
um, you know, dentist in America over, over anything else at that moment. And I think people forget that. They forget that all the things that make their lives work um, just happen around them in a way that I think has really accelerated since the late 20th century. I mean, I'm, I'm 58 years old, and just things like making a phone call um, have become remarkably changed since I was even a teenager in ways that people don't even think about anymore. I remember seeing a, st a story, I think it was about three or four years ago, where a guy went to make a turkey sandwich from scratch, <laughs> and it took him six months to do it. <laughs> and, right. and we don't realize, like, we go and make a turkey sandwich in, in about 20 seconds, right? Right. Um, and everything's available to us, everything we want, all different flavors, and uh, and we can just slap it right together. But if we were to do it without the help of a, a, net, a decentralized network of thousands of other people all taking part at some point, you know, we would all, start all to with their own form of expertise. Yeah. Uh, because the other thing that happens when you slap that turkey sandwich together is it doesn't kill you. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, that's th this is something I try and get across to people that every time you do something that you think is tiny, it's and people say, well, I get it that scientists are experts because that's the fallback. And I'm like, no, you know, public, uh, you know, public health is uh, a master's in public health is not a medical degree. You can't prescribe, you know, um, pharmaceuticals with an MPH. Um, you know, there are people who understand things like supply chains and networks and how to deal with local city councils about how to move trucks with produce and sell them. And, you know, every time the market opens at Haymarket in Boston, uh, you know, that, that involved politicians and planners and, um, you know, diplomats who got stuff here from overseas. People don't think about this. They, again, I think they just say, well, you know, how hard can it be to put some grapes in a box and put them out in front of you? Well, as you say, try it. Yeah. Um, you know, grow <laughs> your own grapes for, for a year and see how it goes. Um, and, you know, do it in the winter because that's the other thing is people, the same people that say experts have no idea what they're talking about are examining, you know, fruit in the dead of, you know, February uh, about uh, that they can choose from. And they don't, it never occurs to them how all of the thousands of things that had to come together to put a nectarine in their hand in, you know, January in New Hampshire. Yeah. Um, well, having lived through January in New Hampshire several times, I can tell you I was very appreciative of all the fruit at the grocery store because there was nothing living outside. I, I am a veteran of New Hampshire and Vermont winters myself. And, uh, yes, the pe when people say, oh, that must have been so pretty, it's like, yes, if you take a picture of it and put it on a postcard. But, yeah. uh, you know, day to day it gets a little wearing. And, and um, you know, even there in controlling your environment, um when people would say to me, when I when I talk about, you know, well, I'm this old and I grew up in the 60s, younger kids will say, you grew up in the 60s? That must have been awesome. What was it like? And I say, no air conditioning. <laughs> That's what I remember as a child, you know, in a small town in Massachusetts. I grew up um, near Springfield, Massachusetts in the Connecticut Valley. And, you know, I said, what do I remember about the 1960s? I remember three television stations that went off at midnight. Uh, yeah. And, you know, no air conditioning and people, um, you know, people having their houses burned down from, you know, 19th century wiring and and 
you know, building codes that didn't work and cars that weighed six tons that were rolling death machines. And, <laughs> you know, they all kind of look at me like, yeah, but wasn't it cool? And I'm like, no, it wasn't cool. <laughs> no, you know, we weren't all wearing beetle boots and, and you know, um, ha- hanging out listening to, you know, the Jefferson Airplane. I mean, we were driving cars that didn't have air conditioning in August. Uh, and, and it was miserable. And I think people, again, just don't understand this, that all these things have come together to create a standard of living that, that they have just come to expect as normal. Mm. Yeah, big lack of experience. Well, Tom Nichols, it's been great. Um, is there uh, a place that people can come find you? Or do you have a website? Uh, no, but if you're looking for me, I'm, on, I'm a pretty active presence on Twitter. Uh, my Twitter handle is Radio Free Tom, all one word. Um, a kind of c- call back to my Cold War roots, uh, or or also REM if you're an REM fan. So I'm on Twitter at uh, Radio Free Tom, um, and the book obviously is available from Oxford and from uh, Amazon and other places in paperback now with a new introduction to it. So no place they can come call you names. <laughs> Well, you can always come and call me names on Twitter, but I'm not, I can't guarantee you that I'll like it. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Well, we'll have your book linked uh, to on our website as well. And we really appreciate you coming by. Again, our guest well, I, is Tom Nichols. I really appreciate you having me, and I really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you both. All right. Thank you. To find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 